We will be in Genesis chapter 4, um, verses 1 through 15 tonight. The sermon title is The Way of Cain. And I'd ask that you stand with me as we all reverence the reading of God's word at this time. Genesis 4, verses 3 through 5 says this, And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. May God bless the reading of his word tonight is my prayer. You may be seated. By this point on the historical timeline, mankind had already fallen into sin. Adam and Eve had disobeyed God, eating the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Before being driven out from the garden, God had passed judgments on them both. He passed a judgment on the serpents, but he also gave a promise of hope. And you see that in verse 15 of Genesis 3. It says this, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, in Latin, this is referred to as the proto-evangelium or the first gospel. And this is the first promise recorded in scripture that one day the savior, Jesus Christ, would come into the world through the seed of a woman and he would be bruised by dying on the cross in our place. But in so doing, he would deal a death blow to the work of Satan by paying the sin debt for all of mankind on the cross of Calvary. And shortly after this, the first picture of the gospel is given in very graphic detail. In verse 21 of chapter 3, it says this, Also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. You see, before this, Adam and Eve had sewed together for themselves fig leaves, which is really just mankind's attempt at a works righteousness, but God himself sacrificed an animal, shedding its blood, making atonement for their sins, which ultimately pointed to the day that Jesus Christ, the spotless and sinless Lamb of God, would die in our place on the cross of Calvary. The scripture says this in Hebrews 9 and 22, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And the remission it's talking about there is the remission of sin. So this is the historical backdrop. And what a backdrop it is. The two people that are prominent in this story and the two paths that were chosen echo throughout the pages of Scripture. It doesn't just stay here. And these two men who lived thousands of years ago still, affect, still reflect the approaches, the attitudes, and I would say the accountability that we all face before God, even today. It's quite a story. Chapter 4 and verse 1 of Genesis says this, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. 
So Cain is the firstborn child. And that must have been quite the occasion. You see, his name means the formed thing, the thing made with the help of the Lord. And it's possible that Adam and Eve expected Cain to be their deliverer, even though we cannot say that for sure. However, God did bless them with the birth of their child, and they gave him credit for that. The scripture goes on to say, Then she bore again, verse 2, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And some say that they were born right after one another. Shallow, if you're thinking of twin names, just throwing that out there. Uh, but we can't say that either, for sure. But Abel's name means a mere breath. And unfortunately, this became true of his life. One profession, I would say, was not more noble than the other. And the reason why is because you see an example of the prophet Amos in Scripture was both a shepherd and a fig farmer. But going on, you see the approach. It says this. It says, In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. I'm going to stop right there. So it seems that God had prescribed a place for the offerings to occur because they were brought to him. But the specifics of the rules for their sacrifices are not actually recorded. We do know that both of them knew what was required because they were held accountable for how they responded to God in worship. I think Hebrews 11.4 sheds light on this reality because it declares to us that Abel made his sacrifice in faith. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. The Bible tells us elsewhere in Romans 10 and 17, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So did they know what was required of them? I would say absolutely. And I would say that this is actually an incredible blessing because when you think about it, they were not without instruction on how to approach God in worship. So praise God for that. That's incredible. You see the attitude reflected in the offerings that they bring. Uh, verse 5 says this, And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And what's interesting is that commentators will usually point out that it wasn't the offering that was problematic. It was the attitude of Cain's heart that was the issue. And I would say, as I've already said, that their offering was a reflection of the condition of their heart. But both the person and the offering God took note of. The Lord respected Abel and Abel's offering, and he did not respect Cain and his offering. So both issues are in view. It says in Hebrews, as we noted, that by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. 
but it doesn't say that Abel was a more excellent person. So it reveals that after hearing the word of God, Abel receives God's word in faith, which was reflected in obedience to God's command. And this pattern had already been set forth in the previous chapter. The sacrifice of an innocent animal dying in the stead of Adam and Eve, and the blood was shed picturing the covering of sin. And I would say that you see this picture throughout scripture, this pattern rather, that in Genesis three, it was an animal that was sacrificed and its blood was shed for a person. And in Exodus 12, an animal was sacrificed and its blood was shed for a family. And then going on to a sacrifice and blood being shed for a nation and ultimately culminating in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is presented to us by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you don't have to follow that line of thinking, I guess, if you want to place more significance on the sacrifices themselves. But whatever line of thinking you take, you still have to face the reality that whatever God specifically told them to do, Cain chose to ignore and was willfully disobedient. It reminds me of a conversation between the prophet Samuel and King Saul in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel 15, it's recorded that Saul was told to go and to utterly destroy the Amalekites, and he chose not to do that the way God had told him to. Samuel tells him that he disobeyed God, and he says that he didn't. He brought back the king, and Saul allowed the people to take all of the plunder and sacrifice it to God when it should have been destroyed. And Samuel said this, he said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Quite a statement. But you see, as I've already read, regardless, Cain didn't do what God told him to do. And when God chose to reject his worship, Cain's countenance fell and he became angry. That's very different from what the psalmist David writes after he commits sin and comes to God in repentance. He records in Psalm 51, 16 and 17, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifice, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. And I know that was at a different point in time when those things occurred. Don't misunderstand me. But God wants us to be humbly broken over our sin, see our need for a savior, and by believing on him, and that would be believing on the Messiah who was to come, that he would give us a righteousness which is only by faith. And Cain chose not to do that. Abel was that kind of man and Cain was a proud, disobedient and irreverent man. Like I said, when his worship was not accepted, his attitude was revealed that he was very, very angry. He wasn't repentant, he wasn't sorrowful, he was angry. You see, he wanted to worship God the way that he wanted to worship God, 
not the way that God wanted him to. Going on, it says this. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. And so, once again, if we stop and zoom out and think about what's going on here, it's remarkable to me how God responds. Because God in his perfect holiness and righteousness and justice could have responded differently. He could have killed Cain on the spot. He could have done whatever it is he wanted to do. But instead, he gives Cain the opportunity to reflect on what he did and to even repent from it. So once again, it shows that God and the question that God asks is fueled by love and mercy and grace. Because trust me, when God asks a question, it is not for the benefit of God. When he asked Adam, where are you? It was not because God did not know. And when he asked Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? It's not because he doesn't know. He wants Cain to be reflective. He wants Cain to repent. He wants Cain to give an account of what he had done wrong, just like he did with Adam. He gives him this opportunity. If you, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And then he gives him a warning. And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you but you should rule over it. So the only way to prevail over the path of sin is to choose the path of righteousness. And he gave him the opportunity to do so. Cain, however, did not choose the correct path. And God did not accept his worship. He becomes angry. And the way that I think about it is that because he couldn't take his anger out on God, who could he take it out on? His brother. He takes it out on his brother. It says in verse 8, Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. The first murder recorded in Scripture. In the New Testament, it further reveals the state of Cain's Heart, when John writes this, it says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you had heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. It's interesting, the connection between that, even though that happened generations ago. Because what happens when people get mad at God today and they can't take out their anger on God himself, who do they target? God's people. 
going on in the text, and this is just by way of overview, just because I want you to see the pattern here. And it says this, it says, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? You know, I can only, talking back to parents is one thing, but talking back to God himself, I, I just can't imagine. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Once again, you see the mercy of God. Cain took his brother's life and God went on after he pronounced judgment to give Cain a sign that would protect his life. It's quite interesting. But there's a lot that could be said there. However, when you put it all together, you see the differences in their approaches and their attitudes and the way they handle accountability. You see, Abel approached God the way God designed and that is through repentant faith. And this is reflected in his offering and it shows us that he took personal accountability for his own sins. When you look at Cain, Cain approached him whatever way he wanted to and when God, the greatest evangelist there is, confronts him, think about that. Who better to plead the case for righteousness than God himself? And God confronts him and his attitude was one of anger. Cain was not sorrowful when God approached him. He took no opportunity, no accountability to express his wrongdoing. He couldn't kill God, so he kills his brother. Was not sorrowful or repentant after he kills his brother. There was no sense of accountability to God even then. And to really nail it in the coffin, when God pronounces judgment upon Cain, Cain basically tried to tell God that he was being unfair. And the case that I would make is that people do the same thing today. Not everyone, of course, but like Cain, they approach God the way that they want to. Not the way he's prescribed in his word. And when a faithful believer comes along and tells them the truth and urges them to repent and urges them to exercise faith in the finished work of Christ, they respond in anger at times. There is no godly sorrow. There is no repentance. And if they continue on in the path of sin, sometimes their sin even increases. And then when the topic of God's judgment comes up, they will tell you either how unfair that is how God would never do that or something like, you know, you are the problem and you are the kind of person that keeps people coming from God. I have heard people tell me that they have thought of their own way to worship God 
That's not true. You may think that, but you haven't. And these two men are living proof. And Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. There is no new way to approach God. There's only one. The scripture says in Jude 11 about these kinds of people who want to approach God their own way. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. It still happens. There will even be religious people in the day of judgment who will stand before Christ and make the case for all of the things that they have done for him. That's what Jesus himself said. He says in Matthew, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, these are religious people. Just as Cain was a religious person, Cain was not an atheist. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Doesn't mean intellectually. It means he never had a relationship with them. He will tell them, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And it's as if instead of being in the presence of Christ, instead of focusing on what Christ had done for them, their focus will be on all of the things that they claim to have done for Christ. So once again, this story and the implications is not truth tucked away in the pages of history. This is truth for the ages. Uh, We all approach God one of two ways, and that's either the way that he is prescribed in his word or not. We either depend upon him or we seek to be independent from him. And we either take accountability for our sins or we do not take accountability for our sins. Romans 14 and 12, it says this, it says, So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Lest anyone thinks that just because we are not in the same kind of situation, we will never give an account to God. Yes, we will. Jesus says, only the, those who do the will of my Father will be the ones who are in heaven. So it makes me ask, what is the Father's will? And John tells us in John chapter 6 and 40, and this is the will of him who sent me. This is Jesus speaking. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he became the atonement for our sins, the substitutionary atonement. The writer of uh, Corinthians puts it this way in 2 Corinthians, for he made him, that is God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews in 12, 24 says the blood of Christ speaks better things than that of Abel. (laughs) Amen to that. These guys are everywhere, okay? One man put it this way, that the blood of Abel cried for vengeance 
and that of Christ for remission. So there is only one way to God. And I would put it this way, as it's been put before, that we either choose to go the way of the cross or we go the way of Cain. Only two ways. The way of the cross or the way of Cain. So I would ask you in closing, as the musicians come, which way are you going? And just as Brother Rich said this morning, we all have a decision to make, and we will make a decision. All of us will, and all of us will give an account to God one day for that decision. Praise God, he has not left us without instruction. He has not left us without a Savior. Would you come? Tonight, if you never have before, would you come the way of the cross and accept Christ?